The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this morning, um, I'll start with some instructions about the kind of practice that we'll be working with in this non-residential weekend and in the week-long retreat. The style of the practice is different enough that it takes a little bit of a description of the orientation of how to practice, even though the technique of the practice is pretty minimal, actually. The purpose of our practice, if we think in the larger sense, the purpose of our practice is to basically to understand, to learn about our minds, because our minds, um, the, the habitual patterns, the mental patterns of our um, of our minds tend to participate in the way that we struggle, that we suffer. And so learning about our minds helps us to understand the ways that our uh, mental patterns participate in our suffering. And it also uh, serves to help us to turn the direction of the mind, to cultivate wisdom that helps us to shift those patterns. Those patterns have been... uh, ingrained, entrenched over many years of our lives, and yet it's not impossible to change them. In fact, the power of mindfulness and wisdom, awareness and wisdom to change the patterns of our mind, is, it's extraordinary. And so what we are going to be really cultivating in these days is awareness and wisdom, That wisdom that is cultivated is cultivated by meeting our minds, by meeting the patterns of our minds. And that wisdom that grows is what actually helps to reorient the mind. And so uh, one of the um, mantras that I've been starting to use is that, that, that kind of encapsulates the practice is that we relax and observe what's happening in our experience. We relax and observe, allow what's happening in our experience, and learn from what is happening in our experience. Relax, observe, allow, and learn. That kind of encapsulates the the teachings that we'll be exploring. So the style of practice that I'll be sharing today is inspired by my teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, his, his emphasis is really on learning how to watch what's happening in the mind. Learning how to watch what's going on in our um, mental patterns. The reason for this is, as I said before, because the mind, the uh, mental patterns, the mental activity, is where we um, tend to get caught in struggle, and also where we can redirect our minds to cultivate the awareness and wisdom. So the mind really is, as the Dhammapada says, the mind is the forerunner of all things. All experience is led by mind, preceded by mind, made by mind. Speaker act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experiences preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speaker act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. 
And so this uh, exploration of the mind is really where happiness can come. And so this is the emphasis that Sayadaw offers in his practice, a direct approach to learning how to watch the mind. That's the emphasis, although the, um, the practice includes learning how to watch all of our experience. So we learn to be, be observant, relaxed, allow observing uh, all aspects of our experience, physical experience, sight, sounds, body sensation, breath, smell, as well as what's happening in our minds. And yet what we explore too is our relationship to our experience, our mental relationship to whatever is happening. So when there are sights, there's some kind of relationship or some kind of attitude that's happening in relationship to that sight. We like it, we don't like it, we want to get rid of it, we, we get angry about it, we get, um, we get frustrated about it. Likewise with sounds, likewise with body sensations. And so the, um, the uh, exploration is to notice when there is an experience, not only what is the experience, but what's our relationship to it. Saito Tejaniya calls this checking the attitude or checking the relationship to experience. And this relationship to experience is largely where the, um, well, the entrenched patterns of greed, aversion, confusion reside. So as we, be- as we can begin to become aware of these patterns... It's not that we can usually just say, flip a switch and say, oh, I see that I'm hearing something and I don't like it and I'm I'm frustrated about it. It's not that we can just say, oh, I think I'll stop being frustrated about that. But we can become aware of those attitudes. When those attitudes are kind of in the back of our minds, when we're not fully aware of them. And I'll often use this gesture of like back here. It's like if we are, if we are, if, if the attitude of frustration is, in the back of our minds, it's like it's directing how we're paying attention to experience. Habitually, essentially, directing how we're paying attention to experience. Orienting our relationship to experience through that frustration. And yet, if we can just even know, oh, this thing is happening and frustration is happening. It switches the power of the frustration. It it helps to lessen the power of the frustration because we're no longer um, guided by that frustration in an um, unaware way. At least we know that it's happening. And so the emphasis of this practice really does turn towards looking at how our minds are working. There's what's happening in our experience, the objects of our experience, the experiences themselves, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, the body sensations, as well as emotions, moods, thoughts, everything that happens in our experience. And then there's how we're observing them. So our relationship to them. So we, uh, we get to know both sides of that process in this practice. So... Um, and as we get to know both sides of that process, as we get to know how our um, uh, attitudes are in the back of our mind kind of driving the bus 
and as we kind of take them out of the driver's seat, wisdom has more of a chance to begin to direct and guide the processes in our minds so that we um, begin to lessen the impact of greed, aversion, and confusion in our minds simply by beginning to notice them, simply by beginning to watch them and see them. And so um, this morning, just for the next little while, I want to talk some about how to uh, explore this practice. The Saito Utejaniya teaches primarily a very receptive open awareness. Rather than choosing what to pay attention to, rather than directing the attention and picking a particular experience like the breath, the exploration is around what is already being received. It's, it's a very receptive style of meditation practice. This is a little bit unusual for people who have been primarily practicing by choosing an object of experience to pay attention to. We sometimes think our meditation means choosing something and staying with that experience or choosing what we're going to be paying attention to. That is one way to cultivate the mindfulness, to pick the breath and to observe and follow that experience, for example. And yet, it's also possible to simply settle back and relax and know what essentially the mind is already paying attention to. So this, um, this practice of receptivity is a lot of what we'll be exploring. And that's um, the topic I thought I would talk about tomorrow morning at the, um, at the Dharma talk. So as we begin this practice, one of the things I've found to be most helpful and that Sayadaw Utejaniya does emphasize is relaxation. As we relax, as we relax the body, it supports the mind being able to relax. And as the mind is able to relax, a relaxed mind is one that is not pulled off into thoughts of past and future, not caught in worries or anxieties, one that can kind of more settle just right here and right now. A relaxed mind is actually kind of naturally already aware. When the mind is relaxed, There's very little effort that we need to make to be mindful. And so relaxation is a place to begin this practice. Cultivating a relaxed body, supporting the relaxation of body, supports the mind to be relaxed. And then we simply, from the relaxed mind, begin to notice, oh, this is what's happening. I'm already aware. And what's obvious so the relaxation kind of sets the stage for the, for the container of the meditation. And this is always something that's helpful to come back to if you get confused, if you get, um, feel like you're struggling. Sometimes that struggle comes from a tension or tightness and we can come back and use the relaxation as a, as a grounding to help us settle in again. And then we begin with that relaxed mind to start to observe. So relax, observe. We start to observe our experience. What is happening in our experience? There's two pieces to this observation. There's 
recognizing, actually, that we are aware. Right now, do you know you're aware? Probably if you're hearing my voice and able to kind of answer that question in your mind, the answer is yes. And yet, how we know we're aware is a little more mysterious. So this exploration about awareness itself. This is a piece of our practice here. So we check in. Am I aware? We know the answer is yes. At this point, that's enough. Just know that you are aware. No need to try to go looking for what awareness is, but just recognize and know, yes, awareness is here. Having this sense of Um, recognizing that awareness is present, over time it begins to become actually a more palpable experience. We begin to recognize the the experience or the feeling of what it means to be aware. Initially, it it feels... I mean, awareness, awareness is so pervasive in our experience. It's like the air we breathe. You know, we don't often notice the air we breathe. And yet, as we begin to uh, check in, aware, ah, aware, aware, I'm aware, I know that I'm aware. As we begin to check in, the experience of awareness itself becomes more uh, palpable for us. So we notice that we are aware, checking in, kind of, knowing that. And then what's obvious in this moment? Right now, what's the most obvious experience happening for you? Might be pressure of your hips or body against a chair or ground. Might be sensations of your hands. Just what's obvious So there's this distinction between the mind that knows, the awareness, and what awareness knows. So beginning to recognize that distinction is also a piece of this practice. So recognizing that there is awareness and that awareness knows some experience. This knowing of experience the knowing of what's happening in our present moment experience. We don't have to consciously pick something to pay attention to for there to be an experience that is known. If we relax, awareness will know something. It's kind of like settling back and seeing what experience wants to come to you rather than you going out and finding some experience to pay attention to. This is the receptive side of the practice. If this is, this, this is an ex- exploration we will be working with, this receptivity of the awareness, if it feels very um, unsettling to you, if it's hard for you to check into that, settle back and just kind of just check in what's, with the question, what's obvious? So am I aware? And what's obvious? And what's obvious now? And what's obvious now? Waiting 
for experience to come to you as opposed to going out and looking at the experience. If you decide to choose some experience to start with, and and many of you may find that happening in a way. uh, Many of us have practice habits around picking a particular experience, and that will come up, that will happen. And so if you find that that happens, that's not a problem. Just note, just, you can just notice, oh, that I'm directing the attention. The attention is, is being directed. And at some point in that um, directing of the attention, you'll notice that other experiences are kind of coming in. So, for instance, you're, you're noticing the breath. You're paying attention to the breath, choosing to direct the attention to the breath. And while you're doing that, Hearing arises. There doesn't need to be any sense that, oh, I, ha- I can't go to notice the hearing. That, that's actually already happened. That's kind of the natural, uh, natural experience that the mind has started paying attention to. If we can begin to learn how to follow the attention... We're paying attention to the breath, and the attention naturally goes to a sound. If instead of having a a contentious relationship with that, we encourage the exploration of uh, following the attention. And so the, uh, the attention moves to a sound, and we kind of go along with it. And then while the sound is that sound, the sound of perhaps the, a car going by, and then perhaps the sound of a door opening, and ooh, the attention is already there. And then perhaps um, a, uh, a strong body sensation, a pressure becomes obvious, and oh, the attention is there. And so if it's helpful for you, you can begin by choosing some experience to connect with. But then as you start to notice the, the attention picking up on other experience, you, you're, just let that happen and see if you can learn what it means to follow the attention. So that's a little bit about how mindfulness works in this practice. We relax and receive. Observing just what's already happening. The level of effort that we make in this practice is a a big uh, part of the exploration as well. This is an area, I think, where we tend to um, get caught up in our meditation practice. And in particular, when we are choosing an experience to pay attention to, you know, it's like we've got this agenda in our mind, I'm going to be paying attention to the breath, and we do that. We bring our effort, we, we, we engage with that, we pay attention to that breath, and when the mind wanders off, we bring our attention back to the breath. This this doesn't have to be an effortful practice, but often we carry old habits of effort into this practice. And so with this practice, we are encouraging very much a relaxation of the efforting muscle. Right now, notice the sensations of your hands. Notice the sensations of your hips against the chair or cushion or bench. Notice the sensations of your lips touching. 
notice a breath? How hard is it for a moment as I say each thing? How much effort did that take for you? Usually it doesn't take very much effort. Hands. Hips. That level of effort is what we need to cultivate. We just have to cultivate it over and over and over and over. We tend to, at least in my own experience, the way I kind of habitually would use effort is I sit down for 45 minutes and my mind would go something like, okay, 45 minutes, I need to stay here for 45 minutes. And it would be almost like I would try to pick up the effort to stay present for 45 minutes right at the beginning of the sitting. And that doesn't work very well. I mean, our mind will wander anyway. And so this exploration is, okay, am I aware Is there awareness? And what's obvious? And what's obvious now? And what's obvious now? Just a gentle reminder. Very short moments of effort. Very light touch. Because it doesn't take much effort to be present for a moment. We just do it over and over and over. The very first instruction Saira Utejaniya gave to me is the only work to give your mind is to remind yourself to be aware. You remind yourself to be aware, that gentle reminding. You remind yourself to be aware and in that awareness something is known. We do not have to choose what to pay attention to. We check in, am I aware? And what's obvious in that? At the beginning, we do have to remind ourselves frequently. It's not about a tight grip to that reminding. It's more like a gentle tap, a gentle touch. There's a a game, a hula hoop game that kids sometimes play. You have a, a hula hoop and then you roll the hula hoop next to you and you keep tapping the hula hoop to try to keep it rolling along beside you. If you give that hula hoop a great whack, first of all, that whack is going to send it far out in front of you and doesn't have a lot of control for the, the, uh, um, the uprightness of that hula hoop. It's going to kind of go up and fall down. But if you just tap it gently, 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 keep a gentle tap going, you'll find that it begins to gain a momentum. And then over time, you don't have to keep tapping it quite as frequently. Mindfulness works very similarly. At first we have to keep giving it that gentle touch, that gentle light touch. Ah, am I aware? Ah, what? What's here? What's obvious? Am I aware? What's obvious? And over time that mindfulness begins to gain some momentum and then we can kind of ride that mindfulness. We, we don't need to keep reminding ourselves. We just begin to recognize and get familiar with what it's like for that mindfulness to be here. And we also begin to get familiar with what it's like for that mindfulness to start to get wobbly, like the hula hoop gets wobbly. And when that starts to happen, it's like, oh, right, okay, aware. Just a little reminder, aware. What am I aware of? Aware. What's obvious? Aware. What's obvious? So the combination of 
the awareness and this gentle touching, this gentle effort, those two together will create the conditions for mindfulness to become more stable, for there to be a momentum to the mindfulness. This is how concentration works in this practice. We don't concentrate our minds by picking some object and staying with it. The concentration develops very organically, very naturally, through a continuity of mindfulness. This continuity of mindfulness is not necessarily, although it can happen and does happen, I found that sometimes as this continuity of mindfulness gets moving, that, um, that the mindfulness begins to settle on one object or one experience and a, and a kind of a more one-pointed awareness can happen with this kind of practice. But more often what happens is that there's a, a continuity of mindfulness on changing experience. And yet the mind is stable, non-reactive, able to just keep knowing moment after moment, oh, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. And that stability of mind is a form of concentration. It may feel different if the, if the kind of concentration you're most familiar with is the concentration on one object. It will feel a little different, and it takes a little bit of learning how to trust that kind of concentration. But the, the definition of uh, concentration here is really stability of mind and the... Um, the, the uh, ability to meet moment after moment experience so that our mind is not pulled out of the present moment by thoughts or other reactions. So that's, that's concentration in this practice. And given this uh, light touch of effort and the gen- gentleness of mindfulness, our minds will wander. No, no doubt about it. Probably guarantee that for all of you, your mind will wander. You'll lose touch with the present moment during the day. Many, many times. This is not, uh, it's very natural. It's just what our minds do. And so learning what, how, to, how to relate to that. How do we relate to the wandering mind? Well, the first thing is while the mind is wandering, there's not much we can do. It's just, that's what's happening. There is a moment when mindfulness returns into the stream. You're welcome to just come in anywhere. Yeah. Um, that some, at some point, mindfulness will return. You'll become aware that the mind has been wandering. In that moment, when you come back into awareness, you are already back again. That moment is actually a great moment to begin to get familiar with what the experience of awareness is because there's a little bit of a distinction or a little bit of a a contrast between how the, um, what the experience is in this moment as mindfulness returns and what it was like a moment before when the mind was lost in thought. And so in that moment when mindfulness returns, it's a great moment to start to get familiar with what does it feel like to be aware. And so in that moment as mindfulness comes back, our mind's been wandering, in that moment, the first thing, thing to recognize is, ah, awareness is here. I know that I'm aware. And then what's obvious? You're already aware. There's nothing to come back to. No need to 
pick something to be aware of in that moment in order for mindfulness to be present because mindfulness is already there. So just see if you can recognize, ah, awareness is back and what's obvious? It may be, it, it, it may be that what is obvious is some kind of impact that the wandering mind, the thinking, thinking, you know, thinking about the past or the future, ideas about, um, you know, a conversation we had two days ago, when our mind goes into that field of those thoughts, it will tend to construct a new reality for us. If we're, having a, if we're remembering having a conversation with a friend and that conversation was charged, very likely some of the charge has arisen in your experience. And so sometimes what we become aware of as we return into mindfulness is the impact of the mind having been wandering. And so notice that impact. The mind has been wandering. How is the mind right now? If you notice that there's been some kind of tension that's arisen, relax. Cultivating, uh, you know, just coming back to the practice of relaxation to begin. Sometimes we might find in the mind wandering, and this happens more than I would have ever thought, that sometimes when the mind wanders, actually when we return into mindfulness, we're actually more calm, more settled than we were before our mind wandered. And if we are judging ourselves for having been wandering, we will miss that. The agitation of the judging will obscure any settling that had happened while the mind wandered. And it does happen. Sometimes the, the mind wanders into a little more calm or peace. And so give yourself the opportunity to check in. What has been the impact of the mind wandering? Has it created tension? Has it created more ease? Be there for that. Relax if there's been some tension. Continue to just um, relax and observe. Relax and observe. What's obvious? What's obvious? If, it's, if you find that just being with what's obvious again is, is challenging for you to begin with, then after the mind wanders, after you've checked in, what's been the impact, after you've relaxed, then it may be helpful to again pick some experience like the breath or some primary object to help you uh, remember, right, this is what it's like to be in the present moment. But we don't have to hold to that. Again, learning to follow the attention, follow where the attention is naturally drawn and stay present for that. And so the, the practice is this practice of steady, Studying the awareness, noticing awareness, what we, are aware, what we are aware of with this gentle, relaxed uh, effort. But the mindfulness itself is not quite enough because so often the, um, the way we're observing, what's happening as we're observing experience. So we relax, we notice we're aware and what's obvious. But often there is some kind of relationship or attitude in the back of the mind, this 
attitude that I talked about at the beginning, some relationship or attitude in the back of the mind that is coloring, filtering how we're looking, how we're observing. We are often unaware of our attitudes or our relationships, the relationship to what we are aware of. Or we may be slightly aware of it, but it's still, it's, it's, not, it's not that we are aware enough to really be cognizant. Oh, right, there's that pain in the knee, and I don't like it, and I want to get rid of it, and I'm really frustrated by it. We kind of know that in the back of our minds, but the frustration, the not liking, it hasn't necessarily occurred to us to bring those into, oh, there's a pain in the knee, and not liking is happening. And frustration is happening. That can be known. And so an additional piece of this practice is as we get this steadiness of mindfulness going, from time to time check in, what's my relationship to the experience? What's my attitude? We need to learn to observe wisely uh, this is the allowing piece of the acron- of the of the letters. Relax, observe, allow. As we can learn to allow whatever is happening without reactivity, then we are no longer kind of habitually reinforcing our habits of greed, of aversion, of confusion. As we are engaged with observing our experience and unaware of what's happening in how we're observing, very often, unwittingly, we are reinforcing unhelpful patterns of our mind, patterns of aversion, patterns of greed, patterns of confusion. And so as we begin to check in and, and recognize, oh, okay, there's, there is some con- uh, confusion in the mind, there is some aversion in the mind, that becomes part of what we are aware. And again, it's, it's like we've taken it out of the back of the mind and put it in the field of what we know, so it's got less of an opportunity to be driving our experience. So we check in from time to time. What's the attitude? What's the relationship to experience? The allowing attitude, what Sayadaw Utejaniya calls wise attitude, is a way of observing that lets us feel at ease with what's happening. But we, we, can't just, we can't just do that. We can't just flip the switch and say, oh, pain in the knee, I'm going to be at ease with that. But we can start to get to know our relationships. And the way we move towards the allowing is to see where we're not allowing we start to see where we are resisting, where we're fighting, where we are pushing, where we were holding on. And so we cultivate this allowing attitude by bringing the uh, non-allowing attitudes into our conscious awareness. When that happens, as we bring it into the conscious awareness, there's no need to like say, oh, let me focus on that. Oh, I've noticed frustration. Let me focus on that. It's more, oh, okay, there's frustration here. Oh, and there's sights and there's body sensations and there's that frustration. It's again, we just are aware of that attitude that has come into conscious awareness as one of the many things that is available to be observed in the present moment. 
We don't have to focus on it, but what we may start to become aware of is how that attitude begins to influence our experience. For instance, for myself, when I find something like anger or aversion is in the mind, what I notice when, when I recognize that, it's like, okay, yes, there's, there's, aversion in the, there's aversion in the mind. And I start to recognize that that influences, when there's aversion in the mind, the mind tends to orient towards unpleasant experience. It starts seeking it out. It starts looking for unpleasant experience. This is one of the ways aversion works. And so we start to learn about our minds that way. We start, to, we start to understand something about how this filter or attitude of aversion impacts our experience. We may know to become aware of the impact that, that it has on our body, that this aversion has a, a tight feeling in the body. We are interested in observing these attitudes, not getting rid of them. The understanding arises from the watching, from the observing. And so we learn how to allow even our non-allowing relationships. Relax, observe, allow. And then as we allow those, very naturally we start to learn. We start to learn about how our minds work. How our minds work when it's got this lens of greed and aversion in it. How our mind works when it's got the allowing attitude in it. What a difference it is. We see that with that allowing attitude, the experience has a different quality to it. We recognize, oh, okay, yep. There's that pain in the knee and I don't like it. That's what's happening in the present moment. There's a little shift as, as we allow both the pain and the not liking, there's a little shift that's just like the mind relaxes. It's like, ha, that's what's happening, right? A pain and I don't like it. Very different than being caught by the not liking. So we begin to understand the allowing attitude gives us a little bit of well-being. It, it, it takes us more into the place of well-being And we begin to appreciate that that allowing attitude is kind of the pathway towards well-being in the present moment. Now this allowing attitude is not necessarily one of um, non-doing, especially in our daily lives. And we'll talk about this more as we move into the the daily life aspect of the the practice in the week. as we relax, observe, and allow, and learn, we may begin to recognize, ah, you know, actually when I'm paying attention to this right now, when the anger is arising in my mind and I, and I notice it, actually the mind is so stuck on the anger that I cannot stay present. That with that anger in the mind presence of mind is really hard and so maybe I need to actually pick something else. Maybe I do need to direct the attention right now. Maybe I need to pick something a little more neutral, open my eyes and just do seeing for a little while or maybe attend to hearing. And so the, uh, we learn 
There's a lot of learning that happens. And that learning, some of that learning, actually a lot more than we may give ourselves credit for, of that learning can happen just in the observing and allowing. But sometimes in that learning we do need to respond. We, we need to learn how to take an action. And we'll, we'll talk a, a more about those kinds of actions that we may take as we, as we go. So there's four basic flavors of attitude. There's the attitudes, the, the three attitudes of um, a reactivity of non-allowing. The attitudes of non-allowing tend to have the flavor of greed, of aversion, and of delusion. When those three are coloring the mind, we often feel like something's off or wrong, that we have to fix it or change it or hold on to it or figure it out. So those are, those are the three attitudes of non-allowing. The attitude of, then there's the attitude of allowing, the, the attitude of wise attitude. This is also a, a kind of a relationship in our mind that we uh, have that sense or understanding of what it means when things are okay. Oh, when, when we check the attitude, sometimes we may not see anything obvious The attitudes of greed and aversion are probably the most obvious ones when we check in. It's like there's a pain in the knee and it's like, yeah, I don't like it. It's like that's like it's right in the face. We we get it. We understand that the greed and aversion attitudes are the easiest to see. Delusion attitudes are a little harder to see. Um, And then sometimes when we have wise attitude, when the attitude is one of allowing, sometimes we also... It's, it's unfamiliar for us to actually recognize, oh, this is what allowing feels like. This is what calm feels like. This is what ease of mind, balance of mind feels like. And so when we check our attitude, if it's not obvious, you know, we check in the attitude from time to time. If it's not obvious what the attitude is, you could try on and see, is, it, is the mind easeful? Does it feel like things are okay? Is this, is that the attitude? Okay. You could try that on and see. But you don't have to go finding an attitude. If there's not one that's obvious, just keep going with, am I aware and what's obvious? Am I aware and what's obvious? Cultivating that light, gentle continuity of awareness. 